All right, church, good to see you. Uh, Genesis 32 is where we're going to be today. Uh, Let me just say a couple things. First of all, thanks to last, as we kind of come out of this last two years of anxiety and tension and uh, all this kind of, thanks for just keeping your hand to the plow, keeping focused on the mission, ministering to your community, generosity, uh, evangelism, all that. Great, great job, all right? Uh, We're not quite quite where we're going to be, but we're not where we used to be, so well done over these uh, last couple of years. And then secondly, I forgot to do this in the... uh, the other service, but some of you are like, if you weren't here a few weeks ago, I mentioned uh, what was going to happen here to the shoulder, and apparently I forgot in the first service, and so again, what happened, I was in this bar fight, just kidding, uh, what happened was, uh, what actually was just rotator cuff and bicep surgery, so all being done, the doc said I could take it off on Easter, uh, so the tomb will be empty and the brace will be off and all things will be good uh, here in just a few weeks, so uh, also, if you're doing this online, we had a bunch of people from all over, we got people today uh, that have joined us from South Carolina, Ohio, Maryland, uh, Indiana. Anna, uh, the Caribbean. All right. All right. And then near the Caribbean, uh, Canton, North Carolina, uh, we got Alexis in Canton, North Carolina. Put your hands together and just say, tell them thank you for being joining us online. Alexis, you got a great church near you called uh, Billmore Church, West Asheville. But other than that, hey, Genesis 32 is where we're going to be. If you have not been a part of our church uh, the last few years or so, if you're kind of new, uh, 21 Days of Prayer is a rhythm that began about 2018. In 2018 and 2019 and 2020, uh, at a different time of the year, we did 21 uh, days of prayer. And uh, in 21, we didn't. We did the kind of the whole year in a Bible, and the rhythm kind of got out of whack a little bit. Uh, but we're doing that now, obviously leading in up to Easter here in just a few weeks. And here's what I want you to understand kind of on the front end. Uh, we have seen and we always see more answers to prayer, more stories of God at work, more marriages restored, more addictions broken, more prodigals come home, more financial situations get solved, all that stuff in these 21 days of prayer than at any other time in the, in the year. We hear stories of God at work all the time. And you're like, well, that's just kind of preacher talk. That's kind of preacher talk. I just had a quick little email Uh, deal on 21 days of prayer. And these are just different emails of people saying, this is what God did. This is what God did in 18 or 20 or, or 2019. And it runs the gamut of every area of our life. This first one is like, you know, I was praying for my, my teenage daughter and she was rebellious and she didn't know Christ and my, my daughter got saved in the youth ministry last night. That's like, that's like this one. You got ones that are, uh, you know what, my husband been praying for, no, praying for my brother and my sister to be sober. Uh, they've been alcoholics for like 11 years and now, sorry, now, now they are, now they're like 10 days sober. Great, great stories. You got stories of uh, financial. One person was like, you know what? We came to church at 21 days of prayer. I had $2 to my name. Next thing I know, and I didn't had a week and a half to my paycheck. And guess what? Some IRA from a job that I had 10 years ago said, hey, we forgot to send this check to you. And a check comes in the mail. You've got uh, a lady saying, you know what? My, my marriage, we were married, but it was lifeless. We were just partners in life. And she said, by the end of the 21 days of prayer, my husband had changed some, but I had changed a bunch. I used to not respect my husband, and now I'm starting to see the man that I married. All that being said, there's no reason, there's no reason that your story couldn't be one of those stories. No reason. And so what we're going to do is for 21 days, we're going to say, all right, here's the biggest, because this is the biggest area of need that I've got in my life. It's not that you're going to pray for 24 hours a day for 21 days, that's not it. But the idea is that 
for 21 days. I'm going to lift this thing up to the Lord. And like Psalm 50:15 says, it says, call to me in your day of trouble and I will answer you or I will deliver you. Actually, I will deliver you and you will glorify me. And so that's what we're going to do. And so you got a little card there to kind of help you a little bit and say, you know what? This is, this is what's most heavy on my heart. And, and one of the reasons we do 21 days, people are like, why do you do 21 days? Why don't you just say pray? Well, let me give you a couple of reasons before we jump into the text. Uh, number one, if we're super honest uh, in church today, is most of us do not have an awesome prayer life. Even mature believers, I've been doing this pastor deal for 30 some odd years, and what I've noticed about myself and about Christians in general, generally speaking, Christians will be more versed in Bible study or scripture memorization or fellowship or even evangelism, but when it comes to praying, I'm talking about really praying, uh, hardly at all, hardly at all. Um, The scary part about that whole thing is that Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And the way that we tap into the power of God and his word and his spirit is a lot of that is through prayer. And by the way, one of the resources we want to do, because a lot of times it takes some encouragement to to break a habit or a non-habit. And so if you'll just, if you're already texted into this thing, we try to provide resources. One of the things we have as a conviction is church is not just about the 72 minutes you sit in a chair. It's a movement, and that movement means we want to disciple all week long. That means if you're a parent, we want to equip you to disciple your kids, et cetera, et cetera. But one of the things we're doing is we want to resource every single thing we do. And so like this summer when we're in the Gospel of John, you get like a a whole thing about the book of John just given to you, all right? But we also have a resource page. So if you want to get a text over the next 21 days that'll just have a little, like a two or three minute video, here's the Bible text, here's how you can pray, and then then it reminds you to pray, just text, just text resource, all right? Resource to 28282, and you'll get that with there, uh, you know, in your, on your phone each day. So one of them is just to help us become prayers. Uh, secondly is when you look at the early church and how the, I mean, it's the largest, most diverse movement in all of human history. We dealt with that in the book of Acts as we went through the year of the Bible. It's the largest and most diverse. It started with 12 people that had no political persuasion, had no money, had none of that stuff. And now it's just, it exploded all over. How did that happen? How did that happen? Well, here's what you see, a theme throughout the, uh, throughout the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1 says they all joined together constantly in prayer. Acts 2, they devoted themselves to prayer. Acts chapter 4, they prayed as persecution began. Acts chapter 6, it says the apostles devoted themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. It wasn't just like I'm going to know my Bible or I'm going to preach. It's like that's not just the ministry. The ministry is also the ministry of actually praying. Go to Acts chapter 9. Peter prayed for the sick. Acts chapter 12, the church prayed for Peter to get out of prison. Acts chapter 13, they're praying for God to raise up a bunch of missionaries to send out. Acts chapter 14, they appointed elders after they prayed. And then Luke concludes the the whole book of Acts by saying Paul's ministry is being described as preaching and healing and praying. And so we don't want what was fundamental in the life of the early church to be just kind of something supplemental uh, with, uh, with Biltmore Church. And then thirdly, uh, let me just be honest, praying can be hard. Some of you super spiritual people are like, it's not hard at all for me. Well, bless you, my child, it's hard for a lot of us, all right? As a matter of fact, it was hard for the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul said, I toil, which is the word for exhaustion or labor or work, I toil in prayer. And by the way, one of the reasons it's super hard to pray and pray consistently now It's just our culture we live in. I mean, our culture is constantly screaming for our attention. 
You know, if I'm not working, I've got my phone to check. I've got my, my, my March Madness to check. I've got fantasy football to check. I can play, all that stuff. I mean, is, is anybody in here not had that time where you're like, okay, I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna be a prayer. God tells me to pray. I'm gonna pray. And you pray and you're like three minutes into your prayer. And man, your mind starts to wander. I mean, your mind starts to wonder about, man, what's going to happen on The Bachelor today? Or, or what's, who's going to win? Is, is Duke going to make it to the final? What, what, what's going to happen? And then you feel bad. Then you feel bad that you were talking to the God of the universe who loved you and saved you, and you didn't make it three minutes before you're thinking about The Bachelor. And you're like, well, man, I'm not good at praying. And you, we just quit. And so what we're looking at today is uh, we're looking at a guy who wrestled with God. And that's really what today's about. It's about how do you wrestle with God in prayer And let me give you a warning. Genesis 32 is one of the most mysterious narratives in the Bible. It is. There's some questions that rise up. It's like, what is that going on there? What's going on there? If you're new to Bible study, I want to give you kind of a brief overview because what you see here is you see about a, a man who desperately, expectantly, honestly goes before the God of the universe with a burden that he has in his life. And what I'm going to ask you to do at the end of the service, if you hadn't picked it up already, is that this card right here might not seem like much, but the top of it is basically I'm praying for. And this is gonna run the gamut from a habit that is destructive in your life to a marriage that is failing to a financial situation to the doctor just called this last week to a prodigal that's not coming home. And what you're gonna do is you're like, you know what, you probably don't need the reminder, but you're gonna take this one and you're like gonna put it in either in your mirror or in your Bible or in your console or your truck or whatever it is and remind you like, I'm 21 days, oh, forgot to pray. I'm gonna pray right now for Junior. I'm gonna pray right now for this person that I'm gonna to invite to Easter or whatever that is. And then this other one is simply the idea that you are part of a community. And what you're saying is pray with me for. It's awesome to pray. It's awesome and even more awesome when you know people are praying for you. And here's my promise to you. If you'll respond today and you're going to put the same thing down, you can be generic. You don't need to put down, you can put down as generic or as specific as you want to. We'll be as confidential as it's needed. But what we're going to do is we put these, you can see there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, and this has been multiplied over 13 services today. So there's cards everywhere all across the 828. But today, you're going to put this either on the altar, we've got tables on the side, and my promise would be simply this is that I will have, we will have people pray with you over your prayer requests for the next 21 days. If you're like, I need somebody to pray for my prodigal, fill that out, put it in there. You will have people praying on your behalf, your brothers and sisters praying on your behalf over the next 21 days. Don't underestimate what God can do. So here's where we are. Genesis 32, you've got a guy named Jacob and 60-second flyby of Jacob, if you're kind of new to Bible study, Jacob's a pretty big character in the book of Genesis. He is the grandson of the guy named Abraham. Think about it this way, though. Jacob is, his name means trickster or manipulator, and his life bore out what his name means. He was a trickster. He was a deceiver. He was somebody who manipulated things. He was somebody who was kind of resourceful and figured out, I can always trick the system. And uh, it goes back. And he is a, uh, he's got a twin brother named Esau. Esau came out first, so he was considered the firstborn. But back when they were under that home, Jacob tricks his brother out of what they called the birthright. And the birthright basically gave the firstborn the inheritance, or two-thirds of the inheritance. And it bestowed on them the promises that it made to, to their granddad, Abraham. In other words, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. 
And so as you would expect, Esau gets ticked off, all right? Jacob and Esau are twins, but they're real different, all right? Jacob, uh, Jacob's in Dorsey, if you, I don't know, in Dorsey, all right? All right, Jacob would have driven a, you know, a, I don't know, no offense, I'm just saying what he is. I mean, Jacob would have driven like a Prius, all right? Jacob would have driven a Ford Fiesta, and that's what he would have driven, all right? He would have, you know, he would have done, but, but Esau's like big, honor, F-150, that's who he is. And so Esau is ticked off that Jacob has tricked him out of the birthright. And so there's, to get up to speed on the story, here's what happens. Esau says, you know what? As soon as daddy dies, as soon as dad dies, I'm gonna let everybody grieve him. I'm gonna let everybody go to the funeral. But brother, I'm gonna kill you. I'm gonna take your life. And so Jacob is scared and he leaves the home. And he's gone now at this stage for 30 years. 30 years he's been gone. And he's wondering to himself, because when he's gone, God sort of gets a hold of his heart a little bit. So like in chapter 30, 31, God tells Jacob, go back home, go back to the promised land, go back to your family. And so Jacob, he's, he's little by little, he's taking a pretty circuitous route, but he eventually is kind of going home. And he's having this question, I wonder how Esau is going to receive me. I mean, it's been 30 years. I mean, is, is Esau still going to be ticked off? Is Esau still holding a grudge? And this kind of brings us to our first principle, and that is this, is when we pray over the next 21 days, we want to pray desperately. And the reason we want to pray desperately is because there's probably not anybody in here that if you peel back the veneer, there's not something there that is a desperate situation. It's something that you wish would happen that hasn't happened. And I, don't want, I know that you might have given up on it. I know you might have given up on it. I've been there, done that. You might have given up on it. The Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. And so what we do is we go from hoping it's going to happen. I think my marriage is going to make it. You know what? I think my neighbor's going to get saved. I think my health is going to be restored. I think my prodigal is going to come home. And then days turn into weeks and weeks turn into months and hope deferred makes the heart sick. And it just becomes easier to cope than hope. And we give up praying. And God wants you to come back to hoping and desperately praying today. So here's what he says. Verse 22, the same night, that's going to give us the context. I'll go back over. The same night. He, he's Jacob, he arose and he took his two wives, his two female servants and his 11 children and he crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He basically crossed the river. Here's the idea. He's like, you know what? If, he's, if Esau's gonna kill me, um, let me split my family up so that only, he can only like massacre one part of my family and not the other one. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything, everything else, everything else that he had. So, that little phrase, the same night, it refers back to the fact that he gets word, he gets word when Esau finds out he's coming back home, Esau does not send out a welcome wagon. Esau does not send out, hey, brother, let bygones be bygones. Jacob gets word that Esau has come out with 400 warriors, 400 soldiers, you don't take 400 soldiers out there to welcome brother home. You take 400 soldiers out there to kill the brother that took the inheritance from you. And so again, he's trying to mitigate the fallout. One part of the family go this part. The other part of the family goes this part. He's like, you know what? My brother's gonna kill me. I don't want him to wipe out my entire family. And he actually, in verse nine, begins to cry out to God with a, actually the first time he's actually cried out to God. 
And here's the point that I underlined and I want you to understand is God will often allow us to be put in a situation that we cannot fix in order for us to understand he is the only one that can. God will often allow his sons and daughters to get into a situation that no matter how much they try to control it, manipulate it, fix it, or make it work or change it, to help us understand that God is the only one that can fix it. And when we talk about praying desperately, the reason you gotta get this is because if there's no desperation, then eventually, after some motivation and encouragement, you'll stop praying. But, but if you're desperate, you don't have to convince desperate people to pray. I mean, you don't believe me? I mean, just think about it. You might know somebody who's got uh, kids in the armed forces. And, and maybe in the past, they're like, hey, they're gonna be in Afghanistan, please pray. You don't have to convince mom and dad to pray. Why? Because Junior's in danger, and so they're hitting their needs, crying out to God all the time. Or now, maybe they're over there in the European theater, and they're like, you know what? What's gonna happen? They got sent over there. You don't have to convince mom and dad to pray, all right? Why? Because they're desperate for God to do something that they can't control. Think about a person in your life that gets a bad medical report. Somebody gets, hey, the cancer, it's back, or the cancer is outside of the prostate wall or whatever it is, and they can't control it anymore. You don't have to convince them to pray. They're not only praying, they're asking their connect group to pray, they're asking their friends to pray, they're on Facebook, please pray for me. Why? Because there is a desperation. And the reason we gotta understand that is we think, and I think oftentimes, the problem with my prayerlessness is self-discipline. And it's not self-discipline. It's self-sufficiency. We think it's self-discipline, kind of like, well, you know what, I ought to eat more vegetables, you know. If I just had more discipline, eat more vegetables. I'd just read my Bible more. I just would pray more. And what I'm telling you is it's not about self-discipline as much as it is about self-sufficiency. There's a guy named Paul Miller. He wrote a very, very good book called The Praying Life, one of the better books in the last 10 years on prayer. He says this, if you are not praying or struggle to have a vibrant prayer life, he goes, then you are quietly confident that time, money, and talent are all you need in life. You'll always be a little too tired, a little too busy to pray. But if, like Jesus, you realize you can't do life on your own, then no matter how busy, no matter how tired you are, you will find time to, you will find time to pray. You will. And um, let me just define this. When I talk about praying, when we talk about praying, here's what we're not talking about. We're not talking about for the next 21 days, we wanna do little windshield prayers. You know what I mean by windshield prayer? And they're not bad. I mean, they're okay if that's all you got, windshield prayers. Windshield prayers are pray, prayers you pray while you're driving in the car, drop kids off to school, uh, go to work or whatever. And you're like, oh, man, I got to pray. God, help my kids stay safe today. Those are okay. Not awesome, but okay. And we certainly don't mean platitude praying, cliche praying. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I shall die before I wake, uh, I pray the Lord my soul to take. You can tell it's like my closet uh, Episcopalianism early on is coming out. That's what I learned. That's how I learned how to pray, all right? Uh, or God bless his food and the nourishment of our bodies as you sit in front of a triple-decker with cheese and bacon. You know, it's like God is not blessing that food, all right? I'm just telling you. It's like, it's like change the molecular structure of this food possibly, but he's not saying, he's like, listen, I put some built-in blessings in asparagus and vegetables and some other stuff. So uh, platitude praying, platitude, avoid that. When we're talking about praying, we're talking about actually crying out to God. He's God, I can't change this. There's a great, there's a great pastor up in New York City called, uh, his name is Jim Cimbala. Um, got a couple of great books on prayer. One of them's Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. 
And I love, uh, he's got a bunch of different stuff in here, but uh, two quotes that I jotted down this week is, um, people don't pray because they ought to pray. People pray because they have to pray. People don't pray because they, oh, I should pray. And I feel bad that I don't pray as much. You pray because you have to pray because it's like, God, this isn't changing. There's a desperation there. And then he makes an interesting deal. He says, it's amazing that God is actually attracted to weakness. To weakness. Weakness means desperation. I mean, Jacob had been a trickster, a manipulator. He's probably an aide on the Enneagram. He's all that kind of stuff. He had been used to fixing everything, but now he's in a situation he can't fix. The question is, have you come to that realization? If you come to the realization, there's some parts in your life, whether it be a loved one or whether it be a habit, there's some stuff in your life that you know what, I can't fix it. I've tried. Well, have you tried this? Have you tried crying out to God? And again, uh, here's, here's a great, um, it's ministered to me. Is, this is uh, actually something Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's wife, said um, in one of her books. And she talks, she had some prodigals and she talks about how she struggled uh, with that and with her kids and waking up in the middle of the night worrying, just worrying for one of her kids. And here's one quote out of her book. She said, it was about three o'clock in the morning. My prodigal came to mind and she said, it was like an electric shock. Instantly, I was wide awake. I knew there would be no more sleep for me the rest of the night. So I lay there and prayed for the one who was trying so hard to run from God. When it is dark and the imagination runs wild, there are fears that only a mother can understand. And she said, suddenly the Lord said to me, quit studying the problems and start studying the promises. Quit studying the problems, start studying the promises of what I've actually told you, which is what we're gonna do for 21 days. God said some stuff. And the first thing that he illustrates in this story is you pray and you pray desperately There's a second one in here. Look at verse 24. And Jacob was left alone. Some stuff is about community, and even prayer stuff is about community, and we want to pray with you and for you and all that. But some of this over the next 21 days, you're going to just, it's best to be done alone. Great to have an accountability partner that, hey, have you had your prayer time today? Awesome. But there's some times just like you and God, you and God, and that's what's happening with Jacob here. And this is a weird couple of verses, so I'll give you, you don't see it, it's mysterious. And it says this, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. It's a great word, touch. That doesn't mean, doesn't mean hit, it means like tapped. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Verse 26, then he said, let me go for the day is broken. They did it all night long. And here's what Jacob said, and this is the illustration of, the, of what this next point is. But Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. I will not let you go until you bless me. They wrestle all night, and I'm not letting you go until you bless me. Now keep in mind, God had promised to bless Jacob two decades before this. 20 years before this, God had promised Jacob, I am gonna bless you and your offspring and your family. 20 years has passed, and here's a guy, and he's wrestling. He's like, I am not letting this thing go until I see what you promised me come to fulfillment. Now, by the way, I know it's often like, who's the man? What's the deal going on there? And there's a lot of different opinions and that kind of stuff. One of the best things you can do in Bible study is let the Bible answer the Bible. 
right? Let the Bible answer the Bible. If there's something in the context or in the text, let the context define what the text is saying if it's not clear. And in verse 30, it's pretty clear at least who Jacob thought it was because he says, I'm going to name this place, you know what, the face of God. That's what he names it. It's like, you know what, I don't know what Asheville means or I don't know what, you know, uh, I don't know what Montreat means, but where Jacob was, he's like, I'm going to name this thing, I'm going to name this the face of God. And so it's pretty easy to see this is what theologians call, and I know this is, this is a, called a miracle, and what this is, is called a theophany. Theophany is when God chooses, and you see a few of them in the Old Testament, like Isaiah 6, I see the Lord high and lifted up. This is a theophany. It's the second person of the Trinity. This would be pre-incarnate Jesus, before the empty tomb, before the cross, before Bethlehem. This would be wrestling with the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. That's what's going on. And he wrestles with him all night long. You're like, does wrestle mean wrestle? It actually means to stir up dust. So they were like scrapping. Like, how do you scrap? How do you wrestle with the second person of the Trinity? As a matter of fact, a guy named Martin Luther, who's a reformer about 500 years ago, he said, the story of Jacob wrestling with God gives us a picture of wrestling with a, quote, seemingly hostile God in prayer. So here's the main point I put down, and you gotta get this part. You gotta get this part. And you're like, can you explain it better? I really can't. I can illustrate it, and I can give you some cross-references, but I can't explain it, but the truth is there. Many of the things God wants to do in your life and in your family's life and in your neighborhood and at your school and in our church Many of the things that God wants to do will come through the vehicle of persistent prayer. Many of the blessings, think about this, 20 years has passed and Jacob is like, I'm not letting you go until I see you fulfill your promise. You're like, man, that's some audacity. You could call it audacity. You could also call it faith. And what you see here is many of God's blessings are released into our lives through persistent prayer. So sometimes the problem is not a prayer problem, it is a persistence problem. You're like, can you explain that to me? Not really. Like, why would God do that? I don't know, I can give you some possibilities, but I'll give you one example, I'll give you a couple examples because Jesus actually talks, he's got a bunch of parables and a lot of them are on prayer. All right, he's got one parable in Luke 11 after we the model prayer, we'll look at that next week. But you skip over to Luke 18 and I would say it's one of the top five craziest stories that I'm like, man, I'm glad Jesus said that story because you'd kind of feel bad about saying it, but if look at it sometime. Luke 18, here's the story that Jesus Christ tells. He says, you know what? The kingdom of heaven is like, and here's what it's like. It's like an unjust judge who is getting badgered by a widow, and she badgers him so much, he finally relents and gives her what she wants. Is that not a strange story? You're like, wait a minute, God's not like an unjust judge. I mean, we talk about it all the time. The cross shows us that God is both merciful and just. All right, Jesus lives the life we were supposed to live and then died the death we deserve to die. Why? Because that's where justice and mercy meet perfectly. But yeah, that's what it is. The widow keeps showing up. Every time the unjust judge gets out of his limo, it's like, hey, judge, when are you gonna get to my deal? Get away from me. He goes to his home. She's there too. Hey, when are you gonna, when are you gonna, when are you gonna work on my case? Get away from me. He shows up at his favorite restaurant. Hey, judge, I'm still here. I'm talking to you. Go away. And finally, Jesus says that judge will give her what she wants. One translation says because of her insolence. It's her persistence. 
And it's not saying that God is an unjust God. It's saying if an unjust judge would do that, think how much a heavenly father would do it to his sons and daughters. That's the whole point of the story. That God is a just judge. God is a loving father. Think how much he would, he would do if that's what a judge does. Now, let me just do this because this is kind of an apologetic question that you're gonna struggle with. How come God hadn't answered my prayer? You're like, yeah, I hear you, preacher, but I mean, I've been praying for this deal, and it's a good prayer. It's not even a selfish prayer. It's a good prayer. And you're like, why hadn't he answered mine? Let me just say on the front end, I don't know. I don't even know the details, and I don't know. I'll give you two possibilities, though, just possibilities. First of all, a lot of times he's answered it. You might not even know it. A lot of times it's right on the horizon, but a couple of reasons that it's not happened now, maybe, number one, it might be the fact that he's in the process of changing you to be able to receive what it is he wants to give you anyway. He's changing you. I mean, how many times have I heard this story about basically prodigal parents who are praying for their prodigal daughter or prodigal son, and for five years they don't see anything, and they don't see anything, and then God begins to show stuff in their life that is also prodigal. God begins to do a work in their life that if, you know what, if the first time they prayed a prayer that had been answered, they never would have been teachable, never would have been humble enough to say, you know what, there's some stuff God wants to change in us too. Or here's another one. You just got, at some point, you got to admit under the sovereignty of God, God actually has something better for us. God might have something better for me. When you're a parent, you will understand this. When you are a parent and your little three-year-old comes up and it's like, can I have an iPad, Daddy? Uh, no, not quite ready yet. Dad, can I have an iPad? Nah, not quite ready yet, buddy. Daddy, I want an iPad, and I'm just throws a fit. You know, if you're a decent dad, you're not going to acquiesce and give him an iPad right then. It's just not. Is it because you're a mean dad? No. It's because you know what's best. You know, it's not the time to give him an iPad right now. It's just not, it's just not. Now think about it this way. Most of us can actually look back. If you walk with the Lord for, let's say, five years or more, you can look back and see some times you really prayed, maybe even screamed, and you go, God, you gotta get this. But you look back, you look back, and even in your limited vision of five years, you can see, you know what, that probably wasn't a great prayer request. Or if, I'd have been, if that prayer request had been answered, that would have ruined me. That would have that crippled my family if that had happened. Now think about this. Think about the God says his ways are higher than our ways. I mean, as the heavens are above the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. So don't you think with our limited little five-year perspective, because God's probably doing like 10,000 things in your life and you can see about three. And so at some point you gotta get, I mean, it's the theology of great theologian Garth Brooks. I mean, it's just like, thank God for unanswered prayer. Thank God for unanswered prayer. So God might be actually doing something better. And Jacob is like, God, please do this. please." And by the way, what you gotta understand is also this. It can't mean that God doesn't hear you and that God doesn't love you. I mean, think about, here's, here's the, think about this gospel connection here. When you look at the text, Jesus prays three times and Father, remove this cup from me. Three times, remove this cup from me. In other words, if there's another way besides dying on the cross as a sin substitute, if there's some other way, let it happen. And then the father turned his back to the son so that he would never have to turn his back on you. So that's why 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, he made him who knew no sin, Jesus, he made him who knew no sin to be sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So don't look at your circumstances like, God doesn't care, God doesn't care. Look at the cross and you can always know, you know what, God does care, God does hear, and I'm just gonna keep talking to him in faith. 
So here's what we got. And by the way, how gentle is this of God? I mean, verse 24. Verse 24 just says he touched his hip, which is pretty apparent that, all right, at any point during the night, he could have put that old surrender move on Jacob, correct? Okay, surrender move. I think that's what they call it. Isn't that what they call it? Surrender move? Anybody, anybody, watch, uh, anybody ever watch MMA stuff? Submission move. Thank you. Submission move. It's like nobody was raising their hand. How dishonest are y'all? All right, it's just, I'm just, the submission move. And basically what that is, I mean, this is, it's like, I'm gonna put you in a move that if you don't submit, if you don't tap out, break your leg, break your arm, do whatever, but eventually what they're doing is like, I, I will tap out. And finally, what it's like a, it's like a dad playing with his two-year-old wrestling on the floor and then pretends to let the two-year-old pin him. At any time, the dad could go, whack, boom, pin, one, two, three. And it's not, it's gentle. Think how gentle that is. How gentle God is when we come with all of our stuff. Yeah, here's, a, here's a little, if you don't have a book you're reading right now, there's a great little book called Gentle and Lowly by a guy named Dane, or I think it's Dane Ortland. And it's based on Matthew eleven thirty. It's the only time Jesus actually describes his own heart, self-description. And when Jesus describes himself, he says, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. I'm not reactive. I'm not angry when you come to me for the 97th time. And by the way, sometimes people say, well, how long should I pray? If God hadn't answered it, what if, how long should I pray? Here's, here's the short answer to that. The short answer to that is you pray until God tells you to stop praying. 2 Corinthians 12, Paul's like, take this thorn, take this thorn, take this thorn. And at some point, God said, you know what? I'm not taking the thorn away. I put that thorn there to keep you humble, to keep you dependent on me. I'm not doing it. And so there's no indication Paul kept praying for it. But unless God says, it's, unless he's already told us in the word, bad prayer, but if like, okay, this is a good prayer, it's a godly prayer, it's for the glory of God kind of prayer, I'm gonna pray that thing until I either see it come to fruition or until God tells me to stop praying. So um, here's a symbol that says this in Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. He says, the great battle of our spiritual lives is, quote, will you believe? Let that sink in, church. The battle is, will you believe? And there's so many promises. We'll look at some next week. Will you believe? It is not, will you try harder or can you make yourself worthy? He says, it is squarely a matter of believing that God will do what only he can do. And then you pray and you pray and you pray and you wrestle and you don't give up until God gives the blessing. Now this is, by the way, it's not name it and claim it prosperity gospel. All right, that ungospel gospel, that's not what it is. You can't claim something until God names it, all right? When God names it, and here's a promise, then I can, by faith, pray for it. But the whole idea is Jacob gets changed in the wrestling. So look how the story ends, verse 27. And he said to him, what is your name? <laughs> and he said, Jacob. Quick, quick little commentary here. Please note that when God asks a question, it's not for information. It's not. It's, it's actually usually asking you to ask the question to reveal to yourself what's going on. Like, Adam in the Garden of Eden. Adam, where are you? God did not need a GPS. All right, God was not like, oh, golly, I lost my kid. That's not where it is. He's like, you know what? Adam, where are you? 
What is your name? My name is Jacob. My name is liar. My name is manipulator. My name is cheater. My name is thief. And the amazing thing is, is when we cover stuff, God uncovers it. But when we uncover stuff, the gospel is that God covers it. And when this Jake, when Jacob is like, Jacob, Jacob, my name is who I am. Then God flips it. And he says, your name shall no longer be called Jacob. You'll be called Israel. Your name is no longer thief. Your name is no longer adulterer. Your, no long, your name is no longer abortion. Your name, that's not your name anymore. I'm giving you a new name. I mean, what a picture of the gospel. When you and I come to Christ, all of a sudden he gives, when you're like, you know what? What you did on the cross, that counted for me. When you said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. That was me. And God saves you. All of a sudden, he takes that label. Even if some church said, that's who you are, that's always who you're gonna be. That's your label. He gives you a new label. And that new, new label is son or daughter or redeemed or forgiven or rescued or delivered or saved. That's a new label. And here's what he's doing. He's giving it to Jacob. He's like, you're Israel, which means striving with God, wrestling with God, for you have striven with God and men and you have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. You can tell he's... He's still on the sanctification train. Uh, what's your name? And he said, why is it that you ask my name? And all it says is, there's really no answer. It's just like, but it just simply says, and there he blessed him. And Jacob basically took out his card and is like, bless me. And she simply says, and there he blessed him. And here's how the story ends. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face. That's what it means. It means face to face. And yet my life has been delivered. You, we sang that song earlier about deliverer. All right. It's not that you've rescued yourself. He's saying it. And his here's like, I'm not rescuing myself. Now he is going to change Esau, by the way. He is going to, God's going to change Esau's heart. But in the process, he's changing Jacob's heart. Because here's the idea. Jacob thought the problem was Esau. And so his prayer was all about, God, you change Esau. And what Jacob is figuring out is, yeah, the problem includes Esau, and I'm gonna pray for God to change Esau, but the root of the problem is not Esau. The root of the problem that God needs to change in Jacob is Jacob. And for a lot of us, that's what the revelation that God brought. You're like, oh, I want to pray for my prodigal, and I want to pray for my husband, and I want to pray for my lost neighbor. And God's like, yeah, 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 that's awesome, but I want to do some stuff with you too. I want to show you some stuff. And so the, the last one would just simply be, just pray honestly. Just pray, pray honestly. Pray honestly. I mean, ultimately, God himself was the blessing. That was the blessing. It's like, deliver me. Deliver me. So what you want to do is you want to be honest. And I care, how do we facilitate that? Let me go back to this. Top of this little deal, and you got plenty of time. You, you, there's pins and so forth all over the place. The top of it would just be this. is I'm, I'm praying for. I'm praying for. Again, you probably don't need to be reminded of it. You can put it in code. 
You're like, I don't want to be too specific. I don't want to be invited to know. Or my prayer request is sitting right by me. Okay, all right, just do a code. Just do something. Put an arrow, I'm praying for him or whatever. Just put that, put that. But you're going to keep this one. You're going to keep this one. Put it somewhere that you see every day the next 21 days, all right? I said put it in your Bible earlier. If you're not in your Bible every day, then don't put it there, all right? Put it somewhere you'll see. Put it in your mirror. Uh, put, it, uh, put it again on your, in your car. Put it somewhere in your mirror, somewhere that you will see it. And then the second one is this, is again, help your church to pray with you for 21 days, with you. You, know, you can be as simple or generic as you want to, but what you're doing by doing this is what Jacob finally learned. It's like, I can't do this by myself. I can't. I mean, think about the symbolism of that last part of the story. Bink, he touched Jacob's hip. All right, that's the submission move. I mean, how cool of a submission move is that? Bink, oh, my hip's out of joint. It's like the biggest, biggest muscle in the body or the biggest air. It's like so strong, but he's like, dink. And so here's the deal. For the rest of his life, Jacob walks with a limp. Every time he'd get up, he walks with a limp. Every time he's walking to the grocery store, he walks with a limp. Every time he goes anywhere, the fact that he's limping reminds him of two things. Number one, I wrestle with God, all right? I saw God face to face. I saw him. I met the second person of the Trinity. And then number two, God changed me and God changed my circumstance, and I've got to depend on him. I can't manipulate it or control it. If you don't know it or not, you and I walk with a limp. And what this is demonstrative of is an acknowledgement that, you know what, I, I can't change this. I can't make this happen. Now, you do what you're supposed to do. You know, when it comes to, like, if it's marital, yeah, I mean, counseling can certainly help. I mean, for sure. Um, if it's financial, yeah, there's a bunch of resources that certainly can help you. If it's health-related, go to the doctor for sure. But my guess is there comes a point in time where you understand, you know what, I've done what I'm supposed to do and I can't do anymore. I can't make it happen. I just need God to do it. And so here's a, here's a verse we'll use next week. This is, this is the verse. Psalm 5015 is one of the ones that I use all the time because it encapsulates what we're talking about in 21 days of prayer. It says, call to me in your day of trouble. Call to me. Call is different than just a little measly little prayer. It's, it's desperate. It's a desperate prayer. God, you gotta do it. It's persistent. It's in the tense. It's like I'm calling and I'm calling and I'm calling. And it's honest. It says, call to me in my day of trouble. Our day of trouble for somebody in your sphere of influence and maybe you is right now. And he says, and I will deliver you. I will deliver you. I will deliver you, and then when that deliverance happens, it says you will glorify me, which is the whole purpose of your life in our church. So here's what let's do. I've already got mine here somewhere. Uh, and if you're online, you can do it in the comments section. Uh, they're gonna talk to you, uh, the host is gonna talk to you about how to get one of these cards or we'll fill one out for you. But church, here's what we're gonna do. Now, there'll be some prayer people if you wanna pray with somebody today. We got tables there, we got a table right there. We got obviously an altar full of, places up here, so here's my challenge. Uh, for the next like five minutes, service is not over, this is not a time to leave, it would be here, you got like a three-fold deal. Either number one, you just take this thing, put that bottom one, pray for me for, and then you come and you can put it here, you can put it on the table, you keep this one, and then as you go back to your seat, 
You either just begin to pray for that request or you just begin to sing this song by faith. I can't, it's a song I heard like three weeks ago. I was like, we gotta do that. We gotta do that during 21 days of prayer. And I'm still trying to get the deals done. It's like, you know, but if you say move, they don't even need for you to tell me where to go. I don't need the destination. I'm just gonna go. And that's so it's a, it's a, it's submission, it's surrender, and it's just a cry for help. All right, so whether it be for your kids, your marriage, your friends, your school, your health, your finances, your whatever. Right now, just go ahead and get up out of your seat, if you would. Go to a table, go to a table over there if you're kind of up on the bleacher section. Um, we'll tr- you can certainly come down on these prayer benches and you can pray. They can kind of move around you. Put that there, we'll collect them and we'll begin to pray with you over that. And then you can go back to your seat and then help the, help the praise team sing the song. If you're not praying, stand up and just say, I'm singing this song by faith. I'm like the man in the gospels that says, I do believe, but man, help my unbelief. So you're gonna help your unbelief by singing a song about faith.